Number 307 will be the invitation song this morning. What a blessing it is to be here on such a beautiful day. Hope that everyone is having a great morning. And my prayer and hope is that as we leave here this morning, after our study and our worship is done, that we will be better equipped to face life and not only, of course, to face it, but to live a productive, godly life and be an influence to those that are around us. Uh, this morning we are going to be turning to Matthew chapter 13, so please open your Bibles there with me to Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower. Now this is a parable that most of us are pretty familiar with. It's one of the most popular parables that Jesus taught. It is a parable that we are familiar with the parts of it. But I want this morning to focus more on the application to myself, and I hope that you'll do the same. Uh, yes, we understand, I think, for the most part, that this parable teaches us about the need to sow the Word of God and to receive it correctly. But what about the bearing fruit part? What about that? Let's uh, turn our attention there, Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 3, and we'll pick up and we'll, we'll examine the parable, then we'll jump down to verse 18 and we'll keep on going and see Jesus' application and explanation of the parable. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and, he sow and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jumping down to verse 18. Therefore hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and cares for this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed... On the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. So, all right, some major lessons in this parable. Again, we, we know the big points, I think. The importance of sowing the seed. The sower went forth to sow. What if there are no sowers to sow? Now understand, I, and I realize, Jesus is the sower. He has gone forth and he has sown the seed. He preached the gospel. He sent the apostles out to do the same thing. He has sent us out to do the same thing. 
there is the necessity of the gospel being preached. Because we understand that the gospel is God's power to save men. This parable also then illustrates the power of God's word and the role of God's word in saving men. Romans 1.16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all that believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is God's power to save men. Chapter 10 of Romans in verse 17 says, For faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The word of God must be preached. It must be preached, and it must be heard in order for men to be saved. So there is a definite role that the word plays in the salvation of men. Also, this parable illustrates how people are different. And how we receive the word of God differently. Last Sunday evening in our study on the Holy Spirit, we talked about uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we've previously talked about other works of the Holy Spirit, especially... The convicting, converting, and sanctifying men. We've been talking about that on the radio broadcast as well and had a question this past week on the Holy Spirit and how He convicts people, how He converts people. And many believe that the Holy Spirit has to do a miraculous operation upon one's heart in order for them to be able to understand. And of course, I believe this parable, as well as other places, indicate very clearly that it's the word that the Holy Spirit is using to do that convicting and converting. Getting men to understand the word of God depends upon, however, the nature of the heart that is receiving that word. The Holy Spirit could not convert those men in Acts chapter 7 that Stephen was preaching to, not because God didn't want to save them, Because those men's hearts were hardened. And so when Stephen preached the gospel to them, it says they were cut to the heart. It's the same word that's found in Acts 2 and verse 37. Those people, however, were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? In Acts chapter 7, those men were cut to the heart. They gnashed at Stephen with their teeth, drug him outside the city, and stoned him to death. The the difference was the nature of the hearts. And this parable very clearly indicates that the difference is the hearts of men. Some men are willing to receive the word of God. Some men are not. Jesus demonstrates in this parable why some reject the word of God and others accept it. And he also points out that the gospel has power in our lives to produce the fruit that he desires for it to to produce. You know, Isaiah said that God's word would not return to him void, but that it would accomplish that for which he sent it. And isn't that true? The word of God can accomplish what God sent it to accomplish. But the difference is, and the, the reception that we uh, engage in of the word of God is going to determine whether it saves us or not. It's a matter of our heart. The condition of our heart. If the gospel is going to produce fruit, godly fruit in my life, I have to have a good and honest heart. The importance of developing a proper attitude towards God, God's word then is, is emphasized in this parable. 
I must have an attitude of desire for the truth, for God's will. And that's up to me. That's my responsibility. The strength, the durability, and the fruitfulness of our faith is determined by our attitude towards God's Word. The attitude that we choose. The questioner on the radio program this week, he, when he asked his question, he, he was talking about how the Holy Spirit needed to make changes in the, uh, in the heart of a man. And I, I pointed out to him that the difference is that we choose our attitude and whether we're going to receive the Word of God or not. That's our choice. Our heart is not predetermined. It is not set in stone, if you will, by God that this is the heart that we're going to have and there's nothing we can do about it. I want to suggest to you that we are instructed by God's Word and God's will is that we humble ourselves and, and become the people that God wants us to become. We choose. Brother Thor read from Proverbs chapter 4 a little bit ago. Let's turn back there. Proverbs chapter 4. Look at verse 23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Who's responsible for the condition of my heart? I am. Who is responsible for the condition of your heart? And if your heart is not receptive to God's will, whose fault is that? Who is responsible for that? Let's go back to Matthew 13. In fact, we'll be going back to Proverbs 4 in just a moment, but let's go back to Matthew 13 quickly. Uh, there are some interesting things that Jesus said in that section that we skipped over in our initial reading. Notice in verse 13, Jesus says, Therefore I, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Now, Jesus is making a point here regarding those scribes and Pharisees that he's writing or speaking about here. Uh, Matthew is writing about. Jesus is speaking to these people who have hard hearts. Why? Well, they're fulfilling prophecy. Uh, okay, but prophecy is not the determiner of the condition of their heart. The prophecy is about the condition of the heart that they would have. And notice something else that he says. He says in verse 15, For the hearts of this people have grown dull. They did not start out that way. You know what? Just like an individual. When we're born into this world, we're a blank slate. And then we are brought up in a home with parents. And if it's as God designed and God wills, God desires, then you're going to have a man and a woman who are godly, raising those children up together, teaching them the ways of God. 
That's God's will. Deuteronomy chapter 6, that's very clear that God's command to Israel was to do just that. That they were to bring up their children and teach them diligently, have the word of God before them at all times. Ephesians chapter 6 and verses 1 and 2, of course the emphasis there is upon the children obeying their parents in the Lord. But then the fathers are instructed specifically to bring up their children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. It's very important. You see, because as a tree is bent, so it will often remain, right? And you, you want to bring that child up in the right way. But it says their hearts have grown dull. Many people are not brought up in that environment. They're brought up where there is no Bible taught at all. There is no spirituality manifested at all. They don't see anything that is spiritual in nature. All they see is the materialistic stuff that's around them. And many of them, sadly, too many of them, all they see is abuse. They see ungodliness and they see wickedness. They see people who could care less about anything or anyone but themselves. And they're grown up, they've grown up in that, in that environment. What about people who grow up in false doctrine? Same principle is true. Same point can be made. They're brought up and they're taught one thing. For example, you go to the Middle East and you find people who have been brought up in Islam. They've been brought up in that all their life. How hard is it then to teach them the truth? How hard is it to change their minds? Same thing with other religions. We need to understand the importance of bringing our children up. All of us do. Uh, but also we need to realize that other people have a disadvantage. The hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Because their hearts had grown dull, their ears were hard of hearing. They were inattentive, insensible, and unconcerned regarding the words of life. Listen, somebody who's brought up in a world where all they see is materialistic stuff and all they see is ungodliness and wickedness. You grow up in certain areas and that's all you see in the streets. Your friends are being shot down in cold blood. And that's what you grow up in. No wonder they become hard. Their ears are hard of hearing. In their eyes they have closed. They are totally and obstinately resistant to the truth of God. Why? Because they have closed their eyes to the truth. Closed their eyes. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. But they, this is a choice is my point. Going back to Proverbs chapter 4. Hear, my children, the instructions of a father and give attention to no understanding. That's verse 1. Hear and give attention. You see, you and I have a responsibility to make a choice. Are we going to hear God's word? Are we going to give attention to God's word? Or are we not? He says then in verse 4. Let your heart retain my words. Keep my commands and live. Get wisdom and get understanding. Verse 5. Do not forsake her and she will preserve you. Love her and she will keep you. Verse 6. Now that's a choice that we make. 
Verse 7, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her and she will promote you. And she will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory she will deliver to you. Hear, my son, and receive my sayings. Verse 10. And the years of your life will be many. I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in right paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered. And when you run, you will not stumble. Take firm hold of instruction. Grab it and don't let it go. And do not let it go. Keep her for she is your life. And then in, beginning in verse 14, you have the negative. Don't, don't enter the path of the wicked. Uh, do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. You know why? Because when you enter that path of the wicked, you travel on the path of the ungodly. What's going to happen? You're going to harden your heart. You're going to embrace, more than likely, that lifestyle. Whether it began with deception, one temptation that is yielded to, whatever the beginning point might have been, the longer you stay on that road, the harder it is for you to get off of it. I'm not telling you that you can't get off, because you can. You can get off that road. If you have a hard heart today, listen, that doesn't mean it has to stay that way. But what I'm pointing out is, we're the one, if our hearts are hardened, it's because of the choices that we've made. It is because of the things that we have done, because of the choices of what we have done and what we have believed. And what we need to do is go back to God. Go to His Word. In fact, slip on down again to verse 20. My son, give attention. Oh, verse 19. I don't want to skip verse 19. It says, the way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Isn't that true? People who are blind to the truth, they, they put their hands over their ears so they don't have to hear God's word. Today, I tell you, it is so sad. People will do anything they can to suppress the truth. They will do anything they can to keep the truth from getting out. Why? Why? Do they not understand that they are... In darkness, they don't, they, they don't know why things are so bad in their life. They do not understand why things are so tough and why things are so hard, why things are happening the way they are. They can't see that. Now certainly even those who are righteous and godly, bad things happen. But you see, we have insight, as James 1 verse 2 says, you know, we know that these tribulations have a purpose. We know what life is really about. We have insight that other people don't. So the way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Look at verse 20. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Notice all of these, uh, these, these admonitions. To hear, to understand, to take heed, to hold on to. To give attention to. To incline your ear. Listen, this is our responsibility. Do not let them depart from your eyes. We have to hold on to them. Keep them in the midst of your heart. 
You know what? We determine what resides in our heart. Are we going to keep anger in our heart and bitterness in our heart? Are we going to hold on to resentment towards others in our heart? Or are we going to let that go? Are we going to let love into our hearts and, and mercy and peace? Are we going to most importantly take in God's word, which then, yes, brings about the love, the joy, the peace. That, we determine what comes into our heart, what resides in our heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence. What if I don't do that? What if I do not follow this simple admonition to keep my heart with all diligence? I'm going to tell you what happens. Weeds come in. Temptations come in. I allow anger and bitterness to come in. If I don't keep my heart with all diligence, all these wicked things will come in. Satan himself. I have to keep my heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth, and put perverse lips far from you. You see, we have a choice here. Let your eyes look straight ahead, and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet. And let all your ways be established. By the way, how do we establish our way? We take God's word as a lamp to our feet so that we can see where we are going. And we take God's word as the path upon which we walk. Therein lies the way of truth. That is the road that God would have us to follow. It is our road map. We use it every day. And so we let our ways be established. From taking what God has revealed to us. In verse 27, do not turn to the right or the left. You can fall off a log on either side. Remove your feet from evil. We need to stay straight on the course that God has set before us. And use His Word. So going back to Matthew 13. We have a choice about our heart. The first condition, the heart condition that He mentions first in the parable. Is found in Matthew 13 and verse 19. When anyone hears the words of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. Mount Mark's account makes the point that, uh, yes, Satan comes in and he takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. You see, the seed was sown, but it was too hard to penetrate. And Satan, Satan's clever now. He will do anything he can to keep a person from thinking about the word that he's received too long. He'll do anything he can to divert your attention away from what God says to something else. Anything he can. He will always make an alternative to what God says. Just like with Felix. There was, a, there, there was an alternative for him. Oh, when I have a convenient season... It wasn't, you know what? It will never be convenient as long as the devil has something to do with it. He's always going to put something there. Luke's account says the one who hears, uh, the, one, the ones who hear, then the devil comes and takes away the word and out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. These people could have been saved if they would have just listened to what God said. These wayside, unresponsive, closed-minded hearers 
What is the wayside, by the way? It's interesting, Lou Nina defines this Greek term as a road, a highway, a street. It's a beaten down path. You don't see grass growing on a beaten down path. Unless it's your driveway and you've got cracks in your concrete. Your grass will grow anywhere, it seems like, doesn't it? But it won't grow on a beaten down path. The seed of the gospel could not penetrate the hard surface. There's nothing for it to settle into and gain root. There, there's nothing there because of the condition of the heart. This was the condition of the majority of the Jews that Jesus dealt with on a daily basis. They were hardened. Why will men not accept the truth? He points out, beginning then in verse 20. But he who received the seed on stony places is he who receives the word and immediately receives it with joy. Now these people receive the word of God because they like what it says to begin with. They accept it. They receive it with joy. It's not that they just receive it. They receive it with joy. And uh, they go along for a little while. And then there's persecution that comes up. There, uh, there are trials. In fact, Luke's account makes the point that there are temptations that come in. These temptations lead people away from the truth. These temptations, these trials will get people to wonder, is it really worth it? And by the way, kind of putting these first two conditions of the soil together, you have... Uh, the hard surface, but then you've got the secondary surface that's hard underneath, but it has a thin layer of dirt on it. In either case, you've got, you, you've got a problem where the seed cannot germinate and take hold. And so, what's going to be the result? You're going to find the inability of one To be saved. It is not God's fault that your heart is as it is. It is not. It is not the Holy Spirit's fault that He could not work on you. It's because of your heart and your unwillingness to understand what the truth is. And by the way, when Jesus does say they could not understand it, Realize something else. He's not saying that you have to understand all the details of it. The point that he is making is very simple. You understand the value of it. You realize the, the importance of it. And that's part of the understanding process. So then verse 20. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself. But endures only for a while, for when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. His faith isn't strong enough. There is no root and no substance to his faith. So therein lies the major difficulty, the major challenge. He has failed to develop faith because of the thin layer of soil was, did not allow the word of God to penetrate and bring forth fruit. Verse 22. 
Now, he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. Now, the importance of fruit, I think, is the main point that Jesus is making here. And anything that distracts us from our ability to produce that fruit is bad. It's wrong. And it's deadly. Mark's account adds this. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. And Luke's account, he says, that are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life. Things that may not be wrong in and of themselves, right? But yet these pleasures of life, these things that we enjoy so much, take us away from fulfilling our duties and our obligations and our responsibilities to the Lord. And so we need to think about this seriously. I would say to you, if, if you were to ask me, what do you think the biggest problem that the church faces today? I wouldn't say it's uh, the ungodly, wicked world so much from the standpoint of it's persecuting us and, and the policies of the world. I would say to you that the greatest danger is worldliness within the church. And our accepting of things of the world and also our busyness in the things of the world. Even things that are not bad in and of themselves. But the church is being robbed of its ability to produce fruit because it is distracted by so many things. When I was little, we always had a garden in the backyard. If you're looking out the back door of our house, on the left side there were trees. Oak trees. Woods. And the garden being right behind our house, my dad would always plant corn from one end of the garden to the other. And it's kind of a funny thing. You can stand there and you can look out the back door at our garden after the corn had grown up. On this end of the garden, corn's real tall. On the other end of the garden, it's real short. Why do you think that is? The closer it got to those oak trees, the shorter the corn got. That's because the nutrients were being sucked up by the trees now dad and my mom very diligent about keeping the garden weeded that wasn't a problem but what about a garden if you just let the weeds come in and take over what's going to happen to that garden uh, weeds will choke healthy plants they cannot produce fruit some uh, they are so divided in their hearts that they cannot bear fruit for the master. The gospel is suffocated. Their faith is suffocated. They are so concerned by the temporal things of life, the pleasures of life, they cannot bear fruit. Jesus deals with this in Matthew 6, verses 23 through 24. He makes the point that uh, you cannot serve both God and mammon. You will either love the one and hate the other or hate the one and love the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon at the same time. That's impossible. Thorny ground hearers. Materialism is certainly a problem. And it is a recipe for spiritual failure. 
a spiritual crop failure. Ladies and gentlemen, we are warned in John 15, Jesus himself said, those who do not bear fruit will be cut off. Jesus said that. I believe Jesus. Jesus said, those who do not bear fruit will be cut off. We are warned in 1 John 2, 15 through 17, do not love the world, neither the things of the world. For the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, these things are not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust thereof. Those who pursue things in this world will be destroyed. James 4 and verse 4, those who love the world, those who, as James says, makes themselves friends of the world makes themselves enemies of God. That is our choice. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through chapter 7 and verse 1. Do not touch the unclean thing. Here Paul is talking about the need for holiness. We cannot be joined to that which is sinful and be engaged in that which is sinful and be holy at the same time. We cannot have our lives defiled by materialistic things, by worldly evil things, and be pure and holy at the same time. That's why we must pursue holiness. In 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 and 10, Paul warns about the destructive nature of riches and wealth and how these things pierce many people through with sorrows. So you've got the hard-hearted, You've got those who are receptive to the Word of God, but then the Word of God, they, they allow it to wither and die, and so their faith dies and they fall away. Then you've got the thorny ground here, the one who receives the Word of God, but yet he allows the world to choke it out. He doesn't produce faith and fruit as he should. But then you've got the good ground here. And this is the heart that we all, I hope, would aspire to be. The one who receives the good word of God with willingness, desire, love, commitment. Notice Jesus says, but he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it. Verse 23. That again has the idea of value. He values what God has said. And therefore who indeed bears fruit. And produces some a hundredfold. Some sixty. Some thirty. Uh, Luke says. Having heard the word with a noble and good heart. Keep it and bear fruit with patience. Endurance. In order to bear fruit. One must understand, one must recognize the value of spiritual things. In fact, right there in Matthew chapter 13, if you'll go on down to verse 44, Jesus there makes this point. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Why would he do such a thing? Because he valued it. The good ground here is one who truly recognizes the value of spiritual things. 
People who do not receive the word of God fail to recognize its value. Wouldn't you say that's true? Because if they recognize its true value, they would receive it. Those who receive God's word, they, they persevere through God's word and they bear fruit. This is the good ground hearer. The good ground hearer will win souls. The good ground hearer will practice holiness. He, he will become holy because of what is inside of him. Not because he's merely clean externally. But what is now inside of him. He has indeed taken God's word. He has hidden it in his heart. And now he is living in accordance with that. Romans 6 and verse 22. We are servants of righteousness. We are to be following the will of God at all times. And that, that understanding of God and his value and his truth. The fruit of the spirit. Here is the main fruit that is to be born. In Galatians 5, 22 and 23, if a person develops this, this character that is mentioned in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 and 23, if a person truly becomes this type of person, he's not going to have any trouble winning souls. And I say that, I don't mean that he's going to convert everybody he comes across or the majority of people he comes across. But he's going to be busy working, he's going to be busy serving, and he's going to be attractive to others, and people are going to see his genuine spirituality. And that's going to be attractive to them. But the fruit of the Spirit, developing Christ-like character, is what it's really all about. It's about who we become, not just what we do. It's about who we are. And that's what the gospel is allowed to do if we allow it. To stay in our heart and we feed it, we nurture it, and we protect it. We keep our heart with all diligence. We will become the person that God wants us to become. A good ground hearer is one that is noble and honest. Acts 17, 11, and 12. The Bereans were of this mind. They searched the scriptures daily, seeing whether those things that they were, they were taught were so. Why? Because they were honest. They wanted the truth. We need to be people who want the truth. That's what a good ground hero looks like. Someone who wants what is true. And he receives the word with meekness, James 1.21. That is a desire to allow God to control me. To allow God's word to govern me. That's what meekness really is. Power under control. It's, it is a submissive spirit. And so to receive God's word with a submissive spirit... You want to know why so many people will not receive the word of God? Just the opposite of meekness is true of their character. They're proud. They're arrogant. Now, they would never acknowledge that. But nevertheless, that is an underlying characteristic. They don't need God's help. They don't need God's instruction. They can figure it out for themselves. Willing to make changes. Repent. Willing to be corrected and rebuked, reproved. Willing to change. If a person is not willing to receive correction, that person certainly is not willing to change. Are we willing to listen to what God's word? Allow God to change us. To so many today, they want to change God. 
They have made God into their own image. They have created religion as they want it, not as God has revealed it. If we truly take God's word, we will bear the fruit that God wants us to bear. 1 Thessalonians 1, 8 through 10, the church in Thessalonica went out everywhere preaching the word. Paul says, we don't have to say anything. The church was doing that. They were spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Psalms 1, verses 1 through 3, uh, the psalmist describes this good heart for us. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And he, in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in, in its season, whose leaf also will not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Brethren, there's the good heart here, right there. He delights in God's law. He meditates on it day and night. That's going to ground him. That is going to establish him where he cannot be moved. That is going to equip him to face off temptations and trials. And to be victorious spiritually. What kind of soil are you? You know, this parable, the Word of God can save anyone who is willing to receive it. And, in fact, I believe that's, that was true with the wayside here, just like the good heart here. The, the soil was the difference. But the gospel can save anybody if they're willing to change. In fact, that's exactly what Luke says about that wayside here. As long, if that seed was allowed to remain, that person could be saved. But Satan wants to get it away as soon as he can. One can be saved from his past sins but fail to grow and be lost. We see this in this parable. In 2 Peter 1, 5 through 10, grow, be giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge, to knowledge, temperance, to temperance, patience, to patience, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. If these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, we need to. Be sure we're growing, that that root is being able to take hold and, and that we will be established. One can be spiritually alive, but at the same time allow the world to choke out our spiritual life. And by the way, the thorny ground here and the thin soil here, the rocky stone here, both of them heard, both of them believed. Both of them were saved. Did you know that? They were both saved, but yet they fell away. That is a real danger. We choose the condition of our heart. So what condition is your heart, my friend? What kind of heart do you have? Like that first type of heart, that, that wayside hearer. No interest in spiritual things. The world is filled with these folks today, isn't it? Is your mind closed to the things of God? Or the stony ground hearer? Have the trials and temptations of life 
hardened you? Have they caused you to lose your faith? Are you giving all diligence to develop your heart so that it can hold on to God's word? Or have you allowed your faith and your service to God to be choked by the things of this world? Have you allowed your faith to be smothered by worldly concerns and, and thus keeping you from bearing the fruit that you ought to bear in your own spiritual life? Or are you a good soil person? You're open and you're receptive to the truth. You want the truth. You desire to please God. You are committed to growing in God. You are committed to serving Him and being faithful to Him. You are focused and loyal to God. You're focused and you're loyal to the truth. You want what is true and what is right and what is holy. You want to serve your master and bear fruit for his name. Which one of these soils are you? You're one of the four. You're one of the four. Which one are you? Our growth and survival as Christians and our hope of eternal life depends upon us following Jesus' teaching. If we don't, we will die. Physically, of course, but also spiritually. And be separated from God for eternity. There's only one way to be with the Father, with, with God, to be in heaven. And that is to follow Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And we must follow Him. We must do what He says. Jesus warns us. He admonishes us. He encourages us. Encourages us. And in this parable, he invites us to understand, to learn, and to grow and so that we can be the people that God wants us to be. To bear good fruit. That's up to us. It is our choice. Now listen, don't just look around and sit, you know, think about the people that are sitting beside you and say, you know, I wonder about their heart. <laughs> what about their heart? Kind of like Peter did. You know, well, what about John? It doesn't matter about John. It matters about you, Peter. It matters about me. I need to look into my own heart. Am I bearing the fruit that God wants me to bear in my life? If I'm not, what that indicates is that I have a problem with my heart. That I have an issue in growing spiritually because I am not what I ought to be. Those refusing to hear and believe will harden their hearts. Will you receive? Will you believe? Will you obey? And will you continue on? And your response to God's will manifests the type of heart that you have. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Do you believe that? The Bible presents us with that truth. Jesus himself says, Come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Come, take, learn. That's what we have to do if we're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now certainly that rest is there for us, but we have to accept it. That depends on what kind of heart we have. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? 
Will you trust in Him enough to do what He says? Will you believe Him and obey Him, confess Him before men, repent of your, from your sins, and turn to Him in your heart to follow Him and to be buried with Him in baptism for the remission of your sins, and then to live for Him? There's another interesting passage in Acts chapter 2. In verse 41, after Peter said to the, all, those, all those people, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 41 that those who received his word were baptized. They gladly received it, just like in the parable. And it says, And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And then in verse 42 it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. They continued to worship and serve the Lord. They continued in the apostles' doctrine. That seed continued in them. And they grew spiritually. That's the whole point of the parable. Are we that kind of person? If we can help you this morning, you need to obey the gospel, then let's, let's help you do that. And let's get you established in Christ and help you get started. And then they'll understand you need to grow. And you need to bear fruit for the Lord Jesus Christ. If we can help you do that, if you fail, do you recognize your need, your prayer, you need prayers of the church here, let us know. We'll be glad to help you. Won't you come while we stand? While we stand.